There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1857 is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. I want to know today how you'd feel about having to carry evidence around with you that you were vaccinated. Some of the papers reporting today, and the Minister for Health in an early morning interview hasn't exactly dodged it either, hasn't exactly denied it, that to go to something like an All Ireland final let alone get on a plane to go on your holidays, but to go to something like an All-Ireland final, you might have to show, for the next couple of years, proof that you had been vaccinated against COVID-19. How would you feel about that? I'll delve a little bit more into what we get in the papers as we go through the morning. Also coming up, a good friend of the show, a great friend of the show, who's just seen his mum for the first time since March. Actually physically seen her for the first time since March. That is on the way. But I think I woke this morning, or at least I wasn't long out of the shower. I think I was padding on my way back the landing from the shower to the room when I heard this kind of a tank speech collectively from the entire inner city population of Cork because David Joyce, Director of Services at City Hall, it didn't go as badly as anyone had feared. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. No, uh, thankfully, the predicted gale force winds, which were predicted to be gale force eight, and um, that were due to start early and um, yesterday evening, Tuesday evening, and last until seven a.m. They abated before five a.m. this morning, right. which meant that at high tide at twenty-one minutes past six, we had very, very calm conditions. So the tidal surge that had been between 500 and 600 millimetres earlier in the night had reduced to about 350 millimetres by uh, high tide. So that meant that the 2.1 metre spring tide became a 2.45 metre spring tide rather than 2.7 or 2.8 as predicted. Yeah, that was and that was a great result. Now, as we were going off the air yesterday, David, I had seen some prediction from one or two of the amateur weather watchers that the wind might abate, but there was nothing official from Met Aaron. They were still saying orange warning till till 6 a.m. Yes, exactly. The orange warning was in place till 6, 7 a.m. this morning, which was going to be high tide time. That was the official information we had from Met Aaron. Overnight, thankfully, things changed. The storm track uh, may, may have moved slightly and the winds abated significantly. And you can see it on the graph whereby the significant storm surge that had existed earlier in the night, upwards around five, 600 millimetres, had dropped significantly by 6.20 a.m. How are we fixed for the rest of the week? The rest of the week is not a problem. 
the yes this morning and the previous high tide and yesterday evening were the two highest tides of this spring tide cycle. So the spring tides are, are coming down in height as we go forward. And also the big change is that the tidal surge predicted over the next couple of days is only one or 200 millimetres, which means we're not expecting any more flooding in the city. Which, which, which is excellent news, particularly in the run-in to Christmas. Even a quick spin around town yesterday, David, would have told you that a lot of businesses and householders and anybody with a property in the city centre, they took heed. There was clear evidence of them taking heed. They did, and at, and at five o'clock this morning, we did a sweep of the city centre to have a look and make sure. And as you're, you're correct, there was a large number of business either had their metal flood barriers or significant numbers of, of, of gel sacks out to protect their businesses, which was great to see. People took the heat, took the warning, and it meant if there had been an event, the city would have uh, proceeded unscathed. I think a lot of people were saying yesterday, and it's worth passing it on to you, certainly on my social media, David, that the council... The council did a great job this time in warning people, in putting up a big red sign and saying you've got to be careful here. So I think you t- take a, a pat on the back yourselves in that regard. Yes, I suppose in fairness, we, we, we have been listening to the feedback over time and we have been improving and developing our communication systems. And again, you'll notice this morning that our, our, our social media was very, very active from half past five this morning. And we had videos and photographs live from the street uh, that we were able to beam directly to our uh, social media accounts. So it was giving people a live update. So we've put a lot of processes and procedures and technology in place to make sure that we can get information to members of the public as quickly as possible. And again, our, our alerting app, Cork City Now, is a very, very important tool. And anybody who is, has signed up to that would have noticed they would have gotten five or six emails yesterday on that, giving specific information about how to prepare, what people should be doing, and information about the times and what has been expected. So, again, anybody who isn't signed up to the Cork City Now app, we would encourage them. There's a lot of information that goes out directly on that targeted information about uh, emergency events. And will that be active and be updated across the, the Christmas break, if you like, when people start taking a break from, what, the 23rd of December through to the early days of January? No, most certainly we have already in place our call-out roster for the entire Christmas period. So we have call-out coordinators who are on site and we have call-out rosters for we have crews who will be on call. And if anything happens over Christmas, at a moment's notice, we'll be able to activate those emergency crews. Okay. And the name of that app again is what, David? Cork City Now. Cork City Now, and it's available on all the platforms? Yes. All right, very good. Thank you very much. David Joyce. Director of Services at City Council. A, a collective sigh of relief. We saw that yesterday, just watching some of the amateur weather predictions online, that the wind would possibly abate in the very early hours of the morning rather than continue till 6 or 7 a.m. And that indeed is what happened, which was great. But of course, Met Aaron will always keep the alert there until the very last minute, which is also the, the correct thing to do. There's an accident in Mora. Traffic backed up both sides, says Susan. Thank you. Careful on the roads, of course, this morning. It's a bit mucky and a bit muggy out there. So put on the lights, put on your fog lights in particular. Just want to have a look at that and get your thoughts on it during the morning if you're interested in taking part in a little discussion on vaccines. We all know now that the vaccines are going to start in January, assuming that the rubber stamp comes from the EU. One could come as early as late next week, the other around the 12th of January. Then we'll have two vaccines licensed for use in this country, the Pfizer's and the Moderna. And they're saying to us now, Jack Lambert, Dr. Lambert there in the news saying, okay, could we the end of 2021, the start of 2022 before everybody's got 
a vaccine or enough people to cause herd immunity or to allow for herd immunity has a vaccine. But in the early months of 2021, lots of vulnerable groups will be getting a vaccine, which is great. And they should get it first. Of course they should. But it's been reported in the EC, or the Independent, rather, this morning that people with vaccines, people will need vaccine certificates to, you know, get move on in life without certain restrictions. You will almost certainly need them to travel. By the end of next year, you will almost certainly need them for travel, both inside and outside the EU. At least one global airline, Qantas, the Australian airline, run by an Irishman, has said you will have to be vaccinated and show you vaccinated before you can fly with us after the vaccine goes worldwide. But there's also a suggestion, and it is only that, but the Minister for Health hasn't ditched it this morning. He hasn't denied it this morning. There's also a suggestion that for the next couple of years, at least, that in order to go to something like an All-Ireland final or a big match, another big match, say Six Nations, or go to the marquee in the summertime, or go to Irish Independent Park in the summertime, but maybe the marquee in particular because it's an indoor venue, you'd have to be able to show digitally proof that you were vaccinated. That may become a way of life for us in the next few years. I wonder how you'd feel about that. I really do wonder how people would feel about that. For my part, I don't care. It doesn't actually bother me because as soon as I can get a shot in my arm, I'm getting a shot in my arm. I've said that before, stand over it. So it won't matter to me that I have to show maybe an app on my phone that I've been vaccinated. I'm grand with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. Not a bother. Not to bother. The little aliens that they inject into me with the... Oh, stop, stop, stop. But how would you feel about it? Having to, for example, show evidence of vaccination to go to an All-Ireland final. How would you feel? 1850-715996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM with your local mace, serving local communities for 60 Christmases and counting. Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. Kate says, sure, already we've had a card for measles and mumps and you have to show it to travel, so what's new about that? And there are many places around the world you can't go without showing proof of vaccination. When I went to India... I can't remember what it was now, but I know there was definitely a malaria involved. When I went to India, I had to get some evidence uh, of of, uh, of vaccination against malaria. And there's many, many countries. I was just looking at the WHO website this morning uh, where they gave a big, long list of countries that you can't go into without a yellow fever vaccination. So it's very, very, very common that certain countries will have vaccination restrictions. Not so much in Europe but certainly in other parts of the world. So if it is a thing that a compulsory COVID vaccination that you'd have to show it on your passport or show it on your mobile phone to go through an airport, then I'm okay with that. I think a lot of people might be too. Uh, Yeah, on Twitter, Kevin says, it's common sense. If you don't want to take it, that's fine. But choices have consequences. Don't cry about it after the fact. But Mick Muldoon says, I'm not so sure unvaccinated people walking around are like grenades with the pin out. I'm not wondering, I'm not sure, Mick, whether you're saying, um, is it about that you would take the vaccine as a... And then, Chris, I wouldn't be put out about a vaccination passport or a card 
My husband uses one for travel to China and has it since 2003. If it gets you where you want to go, even into a match, then I'm grand with that. Keep that going during the morning. If you thought that you had to have a vaccination and be able to prove you had a vaccination, to go to, for argument's sake, next summer's All-Ireland hurling final, or if you had to maybe go to the uh, one of the big rugby matches or go to the marquee next summer, if you had to show them evidence that you had been vaccinated, how would you feel about that? Would it, would it be okay? Would you, could you live with that in the, in the uh, campaign to get rid of this blasted thing that has destroyed our year? One way it has destroyed the year is keeping us away from those we love. Michael Gearan, when was the last time you physically saw your mother? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good to talk to you. You too. The last time I saw my mother um, in the same room before yesterday was last March. And it was the week that that the the initial restrictions were imposed by the Irish government um, when things were taking off in northern Italy and Spain and that kind of thing. So from last, from the maybe mid March or whenever it was until yesterday, I hadn't actually been in the same room as my mother um, in that time. Tell me a bit about her. Um, my mother is she's celebrating her eighty first birthday. We hope this weekend. Um, and she's a wonderful lady, and in her mid-70s, she was struck down with a brain tumour. Um, and she had an initial successful outcome from it through surgery in CUH, and they were a wonderful team of people down there. But unfortunately, two years in, she had a recurrence for which she had to have radiotherapy, and they believed that that radiotherapy kicked off dementia. Mm-hmm. So very sadly, my mother had to go into a place called Abbott Close Care Centre in Askeaton, County Limerick, um, about four years ago, and she has been there since. And how is she? I mean, does she like? Is she is she with it enough, or does she know who you are? That kind of thing. She is with it enough, and she would know who I am, um, and we would have conversation, but it would be in and out. Um, and at times, she she knows who she is and where she is, and she knows me and the rest of her family. But beyond that, when the conversation ranges on, then it can get a bit sketchy, you know. But she is a person that, considering her ailments, is living her best life and always has done. And she's the staff remark all the time that she is in very good humour and so on, which is very important with somebody who has that condition, because a lot of people who have it, I have seen, can quite be quite unhappy, yes. you know. So it's a great source of consolation to us that she is happy where she is and being well cared for. And yeah. I couldn't speak highly enough Brilliant. of the people. Yeah, because talking to Catherine Mahan Buckley about her own mom there a few weeks ago, she said that when she can't see anybody, she gets lonely, she gets depressed, and she starts to blame herself, and and that is a, a problem because they don't quite understand the level of restriction. Were you were you able to see her at all since March? Were you able to have a video call with her, or is it can she can she do a video call? Well, we first of all she can't use telephones at this stage, so that was out for a start. And then we attempted to use Skype or or Zoom or one of these things, I can't remember which, and it didn't work because she didn't seem to make the link between the screen and, 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 and that. So then in July, PJ, when things had cleared up a little bit here and the summer was reasonably good, I got to see her a few times through a window. Yeah. Um, but I suppose that it wasn't so much 
the the regulations were bothering me. I was kind of dealing with this day that would come when I would be able to visit with some degree of trepidation because I was afraid that I might introduce the virus into the nursing home Um, because there are 50-odd very vulnerable people below there. Um, But the restrictions were were eased, as you know, last week. And the nursing home contacted me last weekend and asked me would I like to visit. And to say I was delighted was an understatement. Um, So there was a very comprehensive process yesterday of of checking checks and balances in advance of the visit where I had to have my temperature taken and, and fill out a fairly comprehensive questionnaire and that kind of thing, which is all very good. Um, and then we visited for about a half an hour with a plastic screen between us, right. um, which is, look, I mean, we have to be grateful for small mercies. They've done fantastic work keeping the virus out of there for the year. And like, this, that's a small price to pay to get human contact with somebody. Yeah. Were you able to catch her hand or give her a hug? No, sadly not. We were no, for, we were no closer than two metres. Um, and they had asked they had mentioned that in advance of the visit and I was quite happy to respect that but she was delighted to see me we don't think she has a great concept of time but you could tell in her eyes yesterday that she knew it had been quite a while since she had seen a family member person to person if you understand what I mean I do, I do yeah there's a beautiful photograph that you put up on your social media it's just a lovely one she's so happy in it Yes, and, and, and you know, she's, she's living in a place where they, they go the extra mile to make it feel like home. I remember one of the nurses remarking to me there during the summertime, um, there's a particular brand of chocolate that my mother likes, and the nurse reassured me when I rang up to know who she was that she said, look, I bring her in a bar of chocolate every time I'm on. And it's little things like that oh, that, are, that are really touching. That's gold. That's gold, absolutely. <laughs> So it's a huge consolation for families that are in the situation that I'm in, that their loved ones are being taken care of so well by these unsung heroes of the pandemic, it has to be said. Um, but at the same time, there, is this, there has been this loneliness that you couldn't go and visit somebody because, as you know, PJ, your own or your own. Yeah. Have you siblings, Michael? I have one brother, um, and we will divide the visits between us now as, as and when they become available. I think the, the guideline now is one visit per resident per week. Yes. Um, and we're hoping to God, I, I suppose, I, I'm kind of annoyed in a way that there are vaccines being given out in the north and we have to wait until the end of December yes. or maybe the 12th of January. And that, that month is a long month, you know. Yes. Um, we're looking forward to the day when all these people will be immunised and it will free up movements somewhat. For she, the she'll be of fairly much top of the list, won't she? She would be. She would be in the number one group because the vulnerable people in residential settings should be, I believe, are up there, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, even that leg, you know, I was kind of wondering... I believe the the European meeting now has been brought back from the 29th to the 21st, but we need to get it done, you know. I mean, I I personally would have thought a committee with that emergency job to do would drop all and meet straight away, but that hasn't happened. That would be the real world, Michael, in which you and I live, but some things don't work like that. And I know you're very close to your mum, because on your own journey, she's been a great support to you. Yes, absolutely, and I suppose I'll never forget PJ back. Back in the day when I needed somebody, my mother was there for me, and you never forget these kind of things, you know. And and family are family, and it, it, it's an honour and a privilege for me to do the little bit that I can do now, which is not a lot, but, I mean, it, it's it's nonetheless a privilege to do it. Will you be able to see her on Christmas Day, maybe, or your step brother? Well, what we were looking at there is the, the nursing home have asked that they, 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 they've written to us 
they've written to all the families I'd imagine and said they may not be able to accommodate everybody on Christmas Day as such is the number so I'm quite happy to visit on Christmas Eve or St Stephen's Day or any time around that um, because you know they just can't do it there's only so much they can manage and they've done such wonderful work during the year I know you wanted to stress that that they have been completely COVID free since the start of this due to their own efforts correct and there was a time that the staff down there were actually staying on campus some of them rather than risk going back out to their families and risk bringing something back into the residence. There was an absolutely superhuman effort made by all the people of Windmill Healthcare, which is the organisation, um, to keep the residents safe and well. And family members like me and loved ones of residents there will never forget them for that. All right, Michael, listen, um, have a great Christmas, old friend, and uh, delighted that you can see your mum again. Thanks very much, PJ. Good Cheers. to talk to you. Great friend of the show, that's uh, Michael Geeran, seeing his mum for the first time since March. And there's many, many people like that, and you'd be personally thrilled for them, really, really thrilled for them. Um, as it comes close to Christmas and we'll be coming back to this later this morning catching up again with Jeremy Dodalig from Oak Lodge about the lifting of restrictions for residents it's one visit per resident per week is what they're allowing at this stage and as you can hear there with Michael still the two metres involved still a plastic screen between he still can't hug his mum or grab her hand but it means so much to him just to get into the same room as her 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See lehanmotors.ie On Christmas Day Cork's 96FM wants to bring you a little closer To those who can't make it home Here we go oh, oh, oh. You make every day feel like Christmas. Join Shane Bucks from 11am for our Christmas Day Cracker. We want to speak to your nearest and dearest, wherever they are in the world. So, if you know someone who's up for a chat, then get in touch. Email the details to reception at 96fm.ie. The Christmas Day Cracker from 11am, only on Cork's 96fm. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. We're asking the question this morning Would you agree with having a vaccine, a proof of vaccine? It might be a piece of paper, a card, it might be an app on your phone with a little, you know, these things you can scan, a QR on your phone or something like that to be able to do something like go to the All-Ireland final. It's being discussed as a possibility. The Minister for Health was on radio this morning. He didn't exactly rule it out. He didn't go into specifics as to where it might apply at all, but he didn't exactly rule it out. And we're just wondering what people would think about the idea that when those of us, particularly those among us who are generally healthy anyway, will be among the last. We're the kind of people who go to concerts and matches and stuff like that. So that if you wanted to go to the marquee, for example, next summer, or you wanted to go to see the the the, the rescheduled concerts at Irish Independent Park and that sort of thing, that you might have to show on your phone going in proof that you had a vaccine. Are you okay with that? Ian if you want, Ian says, if you want to go to some countries, you must have shots and a card to prove it. 
So I can't see the fuss if we have to do that uh, for a while here in this country. I do think it's right to carry proof of vaccination, says this message. People will be given free will and a right to choose whether to take the vaccine or not. If they make the decision to not take it, then they shouldn't complain about not being able to travel, etc. But as usual, there's a lot of people who want to have their cake and eat it. But then, PJ, this goes against human rights. I won't be getting it, nor will I give it to my healthy daughter. It's not 100%. I think twice about getting this poison injected into my body. I'm a frontline worker and refuse to wear a mask for the whole of 2020. I think my immunity is strong enough. It's so wrong they're making people get the vaccine. I wonder what frontline that person was on refusing to wear a mask. And Mick says, I fear for you if you're getting that shot in your arm. This is all about hasting a path to Agenda 20. Oh, please, Mick. Please. Agenda 2030. Give over. Give over. 1850-715-996 someone who is disappointed at least and probably angry this morning. Valerie Conlon. Val, good morning. Good morning. A- angry or, dis- or just disappointed or what? Well, very, very angry and disappointed as well. And disappointed for everybody that's been on the ticket for 251 days. They put their heart and souls into it. Yeah. You're still on the picket line. Are you going to stay there? Uh, well, the ceasefire, yeah, we're still doing the tickets. The ceasefire will be there at such time as the ballot takes place. Um, so people at least will have a bit of a break for Christmas and they can relax Christmas Day. Yeah. You know? So you, you're lifting it? Uh, well, let's see. Um, discussions will have to be had. Yeah. It's not a decision I can make on my own. Oh, I know. So, but what uh, are the conditions, or what has been put on the table for you? Is there more money there? Well, the, what has been put on the table is three million for um, upskilling. So no, no money for the staff who've been out in tickets for two hundred and fifty days, fifty-one days. So there's money there for people if they want to do courses. But you see, what they they can't realise is that there's people retired this year. Yeah. That month, they're not going to get any of that. There's people that don't want to do courses. You know, they don't want to upskill. So it's not for everybody. Uh, to set up your own business. I'm sorry, where I can't, but the younger people on the pickets might want to set up their own. But personally, myself, at 56 years of age, I wouldn't be looking at something like that. Yeah. Have you spoken to Kevin Foley with regard to this? Yes. Yes, so we had a meeting with Kevin Foley last night. He has worked his bone off for this. He, like, it was literally up to the last hour last night before the meeting that he was still talking. It's the government. This is all the government. The gov- it's the government's fault. This is what the government have turned up and given us. And yeah. um, so they, it's them that have to answer to this at this stage now. No one is. Yeah. Corporate law, I suppose, would would tie everybody's hands in this a little bit, wouldn't it? Well, it is. And I know the Industrial Act of 1990 isn't helping either. But, you know, Rem- remind uh, people, I know you said that before, Matt. Remind people why the, uh, that Rela- Industrial Relations Act 1990 isn't helping. Because you can't, you can't physically stop trucks. You can't do anything illegal. You, you have to be very careful the way you do things. Uh, it, it ties people's hands, literally. It ties people's hands. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I suppose, look, you're, what you're also tied up with is, is corporate law, where you have an Irish branch of a company and a British branch of a company yeah. and, and all of this. And I suppose Mr. Foley, with the best will in the world, and we know how damn good he is at this, 
his hands are very much tied by company law, aren't they? They are, they are. And as I said, I know he's worked very hard. But you know, I suppose another part of this is the hard part to look at this as well is on the same day they offered us three million to Upskill, they handed three million to Dublin Zoo and Porter. So what does that say about the people of Ireland comparing to the animals of Ireland? Nobody wants our zoos closed, our photo closed, but seriously, are they putting us in a different bracket completely to them? Yeah. Yeah. So so what happens now, Valerie? Will there be a ballot on this offer? Yeah, yeah so on the document, there is, uh, this has to go to ballot. So, um, so by the time all that goes ahead, by the time ballot papers are posted out, and Chris, the fact that the post of Christmas is so slow, it will probably all be taking place after Christmas now at this stage. Right. Right, so there is a distinct possibility that, and we mentioned this before, day 260 is Christmas Day. Yeah. Is there a possibility you could be picketing Christmas Day or have to picket Christmas Day? Uh, Because the the, the ceasefire will continue on until after such time. Explain the the ceasefire to me. What's that? So um, KPMG have promised, while this is going on, not to remove any stock in stores. Right. So they have we, kept to that so far, have they? They have kept to that in all stores. So even though we're still showing a presence as such, it's to keep the presence there, to keep the staff out there as well. Um, so at least we, we know we'll be able to relax for Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, hopefully. There was a previous yeah. thing as well, wasn't there, where KPMG's agreement or their involvement is supposed to wrap up on the 23rd of December. Isn't that, is, has that been extended now? I'm assuming it has extended. That hasn't been mentioned in the meeting last night, but I'm assuming it has because if the ballot goes ahead, then the, the pickets might be put down and then they can come and take the stock without any worries, you know. But uh, as I said, that's something that would have to be discussed now coming into the new year and discussed with the staff. Yeah. It's not for me to decide it. Oh, all I know. Have, you, have you had a chance to talk to any of the, the colleagues this morning? It's, you know, now that's, it's the text. It's very hard by text to be doing it. Um, the girls that I'm doing pickets with this morning devastated. Yeah. Um, we put up our our Taoiseach sign this morning saying that he didn't do us any good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's very hard. I have to say, it is very hard. Yeah. It would be awful if this is the best that can be done. Isn't it all? Yeah. It is. Uh, it's like upskilling. I'm sorry now. Like. But, so, sorry. Has 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 Kevin Foley said? Or maybe not in so many words, I suppose, but has he said, "Look, this is all I can do"? Yeah, he said he has. Like he says, "This is this is what I could guess. This is the only uh, road that we could go down. Yeah. This is all that can be done." Gerard wants to ask a question, which is this: How is it the government's issue, just out of interest, an English company closes its Irish branches, and it's the government fault that they aren't paying the staff they laid laid off? It's not that I don't empathise, but I'm missing something. So it's okay. So there was two parts of Debenhams. There was the Debenhams Irish side and the Debenhams English side. So even though, like, uh, that we were owned by England, it was actually our our part of it was in the Irish. So it was an Irish store. So the revenue and the VAT they're taking what is owed to them. Yeah. And like we're not. And again, once for- a liquidator is involved. Yes, there's a the scale pre- there, the and they are the top creditors. of the scale. Yeah. yeah, they're the preferential creditors. So they will be getting everything that's owed to them if the stock sells for, for what it's worth. And, and that's what we were just asking the government, just to 
give us a little a slice of that. Yeah. And they're not doing it. Yeah. I suppose the argument would be, Valerie, that the law doesn't allow them to give you a slice of it. And I agree, and that's what's been said, and that's what Hall has said. But at the end of the day, PJ, they are the government, they have changed laws to suit themselves. Mm. And we're surely a bit to go in this day and age. That something can be done. Yeah, well, sure. We look. We spoke many times, and we had Cal from Vita Cortex on with you yeah. during the course of the last couple of months. The, the, after Vita Cortex happened, where again no law was broken, and that has to be no law was broken. The, there was a pledge that something would be done for workers left in this kind of a position. Had it been done, then you wouldn't be where you are now. Exactly, exactly. And Arcadia coming up wouldn't be facing into what they'd be having to face into, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's only the start. Arcadia only the start. Yeah. Like we said, we were there at the, uh, the start at the time. Arcadia, a couple of months down the road. What else is going to come from this? Yeah, remind remind listeners what, what Arcadia is in charge of because a lot of their outlets are here too. Yeah, so there's Top Shop, there's Darcy Perkins. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so both, so both those stores are in Cork. Yeah, we've had a, a warning. It's been international now. Warnings of a tsunami of retail closures in in twenty twenty one, and and you you fear that, you know, there'll be many more people like you. Yes, exactly, exactly. And can every one of those people upskill? You know, uh, you know what I mean. So, do they want us to change all our lives completely? Yeah. A lot of us are only used to like I. I'm as I said, I'm 56. I've been in retail all my life. Yes. You know, I'm already doing a course that's already free. Yes. And they're saying that they're giving us three million to do courses. That a lot of people are already doing these courses and they're free already. Yes. Yes. Valerie, yes. I, I, I don't know what to say to you. We've been talking many, many times since this started. At the very start of it when Kevin Foley became involved at the start of this chapter, we both agreed I watched Foley work. You know, I've watched him work on many disputes. Like, he wasn't going in there if he didn't think he'd get anything out of it. But this isn't much. No, no. It's a slap in the head, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really is. And people feel now that that's what it is. Yes. You know? And the Fianna Fáil or the Workers' Party, well, they certainly haven't worked for these workers. Yes. You know? All right. Valerie, let us know what decisions are made and, and where we go this side of Christmas, will you? I will, of course. We're, we're on air right up to Christmas Eve, and I'll take your call any time you need to talk to me, all right? Okay. And PJ, thanks very much. No, and pass on my regards to the others. That's Valerie Conlon from Debenhams. 185715996. Look, corporate law is corporate law. Kevin Foley or anybody has to work within it. And corporate law doesn't allow the giving by the government of any money to them from the sale of stock. Or it doesn't really allow revenue to use tax that's owed to Debenhams, or sorry, that's owed to the state to pay the workers. That's the unfortunate problem here. Joe wants to talk about those vaccine certs. You'd be okay with it, Joe. Good morning. Uh, well, I would, PJ. Um, fair enough if somebody doesn't want to take it. That's fine. That's their democratic right. But they don't have the right to stop other people 
um, waving, waving placards outside schools and shopping centres and causing disruption in the cities and towns around the country. That's madness altogether. Yeah. Well, the Minister for Health sort of indicated this morning that it's, it's under consideration mm-hmm. and that until such time as you have a decent level of immunity in the country. Uh, the example being touted is, for example, to fly. Many places, many countries are going to insist that you have vaccination to enter them. That That's going to be a fact. Already, I think, Australia headed down that road. Certainly, their national airline, Qantas, won't let you fly without a vaccine cert. But to go to something like an All-Ireland final or to go to something like Live at the Marquee and having to show maybe a QR code on your phone, would you be okay with that? Oh, certainly would. It's, it's life or death, TJ. Um, it's all very well, as I said, people saying we can't, you're forcing us to do things we don't want to do. But it's just common sense. You don't have to have a brain to work that one out, you know. When, when other people's lives depend on I'm 77 now, and um, I wear a mask everywhere when the, when the regulations came in, I wore them. But you talk about restrictions. I was Sunday in Perth, you know, way back in April, the president or the premier of Western Australia stopped people coming in from the rest of Australia. Did it, yeah. And he was ostracised left, right and centre. And the residents would have canonised them if they could. Yeah. And now they're all doing it and it worked. You know, the, yeah. the point is, it's, it's, it's not ideal for everybody, all this isolation. And it, it's hard, you know, yes, for um, six months now. But God almighty, it's, uh, you have to think of other people, especially younger people, people with families and whatever, you know. Yeah. You, you said, I think to Terry, that your work took you to Asia many years ago. So, mm-hmm. And they were years yeah. ahead of us, I think. Well, excuse me, when I was quite young, I was in my early 20s and I went to Singapore and Japan first and I, I saw these people with masks, so the paper masks on their faces and when I discovered what it was, apparently the slightest sign of the sniffles to put on this mask in case they had something worse and it would spread to other people. Yeah. I mean, that's showing solidarity with their... That's incredible personal water. responsibility, isn't it? I wake <laughs> up and I'm snuffling, so I put a mask on to protect yeah. those around me. Like, that's, that's, that's good citizenship. That's great. That's absolutely fantastic. So um, it's it's quite right. I mean, I know that I don't know how it spread because I think it was just tracing was the problem. In, um, and I, I see I see this morning's paper that um, it's a problem again in South Korea, which had one of the best records. But they have they're having trouble tracing it when when somebody has it. But they're very social people. There might be a lot more people during the day than we would, you know, and they embrace a lot. <laughs> yeah. Here's a couple of things coming in. Uh, I would be very disappointed if we need to have vaccine to travel, as no one knows how the vaccine will affect them afterwards. Well, we have to trust in our medical professionals and the virologists and whatever who yeah. work these things out. You know, I'm not a medical man at all. My working life is in engineering, but ah, you have to trust people. And I think it's a great idea. What's his name? Joyce, the Premier of the Chief Executive of Qantas. Yeah, yes. I, I He's an Irish lad. Irish lad. Yeah, you'd feel great. I've heard him speaking. He's a thick Dublin accent. <laughs> Still, it's, um, it's a great idea. I mean, how comfortable would you feel if everybody else in the plane was vaccinated or had a... Was yeah. protect, you were protected from everybody. I'd be more likely. I, you know, I miss my farm holidays like everybody else, and I heard you talking about it during mm. the summer. And I, I, I somehow feel that we'll have to forego it for a second year. Well, it looks like maybe late this year, whatever. But we had a we, uh, earlier on last year. We had yeah, this year rather we go up a trip to see a new grandchild in, in Western Australia, and um, but all the holidays later in the year, you know. But you have to kind of sorry, that's somebody at my door. That's um, okay. That's okay, Joe. <laughs> don't worry about it's probably the dogs. someone from across the road telling you you're on the radio. 
it's a delivery. <laughs> okay, listen, I will let you go and take that call. Thank you for yours. And I know that certainly the, the, the anti-vax brigade are, are starting to rear up on social media as well. Uh, look, the anti, anti-vax, anti-mask, they're all the same. And um, I think I didn't come up with that. I was reading about it, the people who were causing the trouble with the anti, anti-masks were the same people who were doing the anti-vax. <laughs> it seems there's, there's a right-wing ethos there somewhere, an extreme right-wing ethos, I should say. Yeah. But it's frightening if they, the, you know, they, they have never been... During my time in the American Navy, I was in lots of countries where there are totalitarian regimes in South America, in particular, both right-wing and left-wing. And they're just the same, two different, same different sides of the same bad penny. It's just, when you're restricting people's freedom, it's just something radically wrong with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, they would argue that what we've had for the last six or eight months has been restricting our freedom, but you would argue yeah. back it's in the cause of our safety. Well, it may, well it's something to argue back. It is, you know, it is, of course, for safety. Yeah, I wouldn't right. have been without it. In fact, like I said, I regret it and it was hard, but we just have to go along with it a bit longer. All right. Joe, go get your package, and thanks very much for your very, very interesting call. 1850-715-996. Any more views on it? Anyone want to tell me why they won't carry a vaccine card? I promise I won't fight with you. I am saying this here and now. I have my phone in front of me, and I have no problem in the world putting a QR code on that phone, and I have no problem using it to get into a match. I have no problem using it to go to a concert. I have no problem using it to go and fly somewhere. I have no problem if a shopping centre says to me, I have to show it going in. I have no issue with it. But that's me. You may be different. 1850-715-996. Speaking of things that are going to be happening in the future, there's a very interesting article in The Sun today on how Ireland will look in the future. Strange. It'll be a very, very different place. We'll have things like um, robots for sex. And all the cars and the buses and the trains will all be electric. And there'll be no more coal fire in the grate. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. See where today, I don't do these national days all the time, but this is a nice one, given the time of the year that's in it. Today is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. How do you celebrate it? You cover something in chocolate and you eat it. Obviously something edible. You eat it. Pick up some chocolate covered anything or dip your favourite food in chocolate. Invite friends to join you and have a little party. And you might decide to dip a bit of shortbread or ice ice cream's gorgeous actually a spoon of ice cream dipped in melted chocolate and I go, that's 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 kind of gorgeous i had a sort of perverted thought when i read this this morning um, I sat down last night myself and the Queen Bee we were watching The Undoing yes we're a little bit behind it's brilliant don't tell me don't tell me it's brilliant but we were having a mince pie the first mince pie in Coogan Towers of 2020 and i thought when I saw this this morning, I said, Jeez, what would a mince pie be like dipped in chocolate? This is where my mind goes in the morning. 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Article in the Sun this morning that says, if this year has taught us anything, it's that nothing in life is certain. What will life look like in a decade and what else will change? From transport to food 
from health to energy. And two experts from UCC have been looking into this uh, for the Irish Sun. They went to a conference to look at the future and how things would change in the next uh, 10 years. And some of it makes for a very interesting reading. Uh, Fionn Rogan. Good morning, Fionn. Hello, PJ. You are one of these people that went to see how the world would be in 2030. Give me some predictions, please. Hi, thanks, PJ. Yeah, so I work in a research group in University College Cork in the, the Mara Centre, and we, we we look at the energy system in Ireland and, and how we use it now and how it might change over the next 10 years, over the next 20, 30 years. And there are big changes coming down the tracks for, for how we use energy um, according to government policy and according to international targets. So the way we use electricity in the past was mostly from a power plant, but in the future it will be mostly wind-generated, uh, not entirely wind-generated, but um, you know, about 70% of our, our electricity will come from wind in, in 2030. And, and the rest of our energy is, is we use it for heating our, our buildings, heating our homes, and, and also for transporting ourselves and our, and our stuff. So how, how we move around and how our, our stuff gets moved around. Mm. Uh, so we'll see a lot more electric transport in the future. Hopefully we'll also see a lot more active travel. So people, you know, instead of driving one kilometre to the shop to pick up a pint of milk, that we'll, we'll walk to the shop or, or we'll, we'll cycle. And so active travel um, is, a, is a really important part of, of how we get around and it, it has many benefits to, mm. to the environment, to our health. Um, so, so those are... So, solar farms, we can expect to see more of these big black fields. <laughs> yes, the, the price of solar in the last 10 years globally has plummeted. It just really fell by about 80%. So the technology has, has fallen dramatically in price. So it's made it competitive with uh, the price of electricity. So, And the way you do that is you, you, you put a, a solar panel out in, in, the, in the ground and it absorbs the sun and generates electricity. And it's a very simple technology. It's very easy to to install, you, you put it out in the field. Um, there's no you know, wind turbines are quite heavy devices, so the, the structural, the foundations of those have to be right. But for a, a solar farm, you can install it very quickly. Um, mm. And we, you'll have a lot of planning issues if you try to put solar farms up and down the length of the country. People like their fields. They do, yeah. No, there there has been a lot of activity in the last few years, actually, of um, uh, solar farm planning applications going in. Um, sometimes below the radar, so local some local communities are not aware that there's a solar farm planned for their area. Um, a lot of those plans will never be built. Um, my understanding is a lot of developers are uh, are hedging their bets. I suppose they're getting as many planning permissions ready as possible, but a lot of them will not transpire. Um, part of the reason is Ireland is so windy. So our, our great wind in Ireland means uh, we'll get enough electricity from wind turbines. So that extra that could come from solar. Um, yeah. Every time you put in a um, look to build a wind turbine, though, you have a queue of people looking to object to it as well. That's yeah. It it varies. Um, I mean, some communities uh, yeah, are, are very organised against them. Some communities um, are, can be in favour. Um, there's, there's a, a thing called community ownership, and, and this is a an idea where you know, communities, rather than being bought out by a wind turbine developer or being 
fobbed off, you know, and just ignored that they would actually become own owners, so um, stakeholders or, or, or stock, um, they would own stock in in the, the, the wind farm. This is a very successful model from from Denmark, and a lot of communities there actually receive a dividend from their local wind farm. We're exploring that in Ireland. There's a lot of potential, a lot of interest in it, um, and I, you know, I, it could make a huge difference to how these local pieces of infrastructure are received in, in, in the locale. Because if people don't benefit from something that's right beside them, you know, it's, it's legitimate that they should question why they have to look at it all the time. Um, in terms of how we will heat our homes, uh, there'll be no coal grate, no, no coal fires left by 2030. Now, two <laughs> things there. One, I like my coal fire. But secondly, a lot of, for a lot of people living a life of poverty and trying to put food on the table and clothes on their back, the coal fire is all they can afford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy one. Um, and and coal, is, coal is cheap, but it's, it's bad for our health, our neighbours' health, and it's bad for the planet's health. Um, so it, it's a simple ban uh, on coal would uh, be worse than doing nothing um, because it would, uh, it would lead to unintended consequences. There would be still... You know, coal used and, and it would lead to hardship too because as you rightly point out you know, a, lot of, um, a lot of people rely on coal to heat their homes in the winter and so in terms of policy support to make this happen there needs to be a uh, support for uh, retrofitting to make homes more comfortable so there isn't the same need for, for yeah. home heating um, but you know, also uh, that you know, this can just subsidy. So, so uh, the energy, um, the en- yeah, four hundred thousand homes in Ireland receive an energy fuel allowance. Um, so that needs to be adjusted to account for any uh, changes to to coal. Yeah. Um, Re- retrofitting, I see in here, is you know you can retrofit the homes, and if you've ever stood in in a newly built house with the new insulation standards, God, it's fantastic. It really is. But, yeah. but retrofitting that, that's a costly exercise. Who's going to pay for that? Yeah, great question. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, um, there's, we talk about uh, a shallow retrofit and a deep retrofit sometimes because there's, uh, there's, there are simple things that you can you know, put in, say, warmer uh, double-glazed windows or, 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 or just do one, maybe put in some insulation in the attic. Um, but that will... Improve the efficiency, but not by not so much. That's a kind of a shallow retrofit. But a deep retrofit is is, is when the entire home is, is really given a total mm. makeover. You and could be talking can, seventy or eighty thousand euro you to can, do that. You, you can be caught. Yes, yeah, that's what it can cost. Um, now, yeah, not every home will have that. Uh, a, a minority of homes will have that. Get kind of capital available, and uh, so there needs to be, uh, I suppose, a multi-pronged support. So definitely funding from the government and, and I mean there is a return on this investment because the, the, the funds that are you know, made make homes more healthy um, you know they they get paid back if you like from from uh, from less health expenses and from the same homes and um, bills will be lower as well so the Ireland's overall energy bill for importing fuel will be lower um, so there are, are ways of the that uh, a loan can be at- attached to the home um, and, and the lower heating bills um, can be used to pay back um, this loan. Uh, but you know, banks and, and energy suppliers have to be involved. Have in to be all on board with that. Moving to health, people will live longer. Already they say, already they say that the first person who will live to 140 
is living among us right now as a, as a young child. But you reckon the average age of men and women will increase to 87, 84, respectively, because of increases in how we look after our health? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Now, uh, important caveat, I didn't contribute that um, th- those points in that sure. article, but um, it's my, my late grandmother, she died a few years ago, and she was 102, um, and she had a wonderful, long, healthy life. So I aspire to that as well. Um, 140 is a, maybe a bit of a stretch. Um, but, yeah, I know, I suppose longevity has been improving uh, in Ireland a lot in the last few generations. If you, just to, in terms of my area, the, the energy system area, so changes to you know, how we use, if we use burn less coal and we have less unhealthy air, that will improve our longevity as well. So there are, there's interesting connections between yeah. these things. Um, that, that if we all live longer, that'll have a, a strain on the economy and the ecosystem as well, because as you get older, your needs increase. Yeah, it's, I mean, it works, it works, I suppose many things happen that, yeah, you, uh, people become more productive. And, yeah, my, my grandmother, she was retired for 40, nearly 40 years. Uh, so she, you know, her pension that she drew down was nearly as long as her working life. But I expect to be working. Um, I'm nearly 40. I, I expect to be working past 70. So people will... God help you. The other side of working... Why are you comfortable with that thought? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Why are you comfortable with that thought that you're no, you're thirty? Is it thirty you are or nearly thirty? Uh, thirty-nine, nearly 30. thirty-nine, nearly forty. And you're comfortable with the idea of working past seventy? <laughs> well, are I, you mad? I like my job, actually. Yeah, um, I love my job, but hey, I'm going to be sitting here at seventy, hopefully yeah. on a beach somewhere. Do you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, hopefully we won't all be still working from home then, and uh, yeah. we'll be able to get out. Yeah. All right. Listen, it's an interesting times ahead. I think, John. Uh, yeah, some people, no, I know, some people don't all want to pack in work, but I no intention of sitting here when I'm seventy. I put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Fionn, listen, thanks ever so much for that. That's Fionn Rogan from the Marai Centre for Climate Energy at UCC. How things are going to change? There's there's more in that article in the Sun. Uh, his colleague Cara Augustenberg said that we should be making petrol and diesel cars too expensive, forcing motorists to pay big money for the right to pollute, to pollute will speed up the move to electric. I read a statistic recently where making a decent-sized electric car, not the little bubbles that you go around in some, but making a decent-sized electric car, the carbon footprint of making the car is bigger than the carbon footprint of driving a petrol family car for 12 months. We'll be having sex with robots, according to that article, which is interesting. And as well as that, I love this. There's a bit in it about food. And I swear to God, if this happens, I'm, I'm leaving the country. They're saying that 25% of us, that's the UK, Sainsbury's reckon that 25% of us would be vegans by 2050. About 4% of the Irish people are presently vegan. But half people surveyed last year said they'd be willing to switch over for environmental reasons. And in another survey this year, Ireland was 10th most popular in the world for veganism. Veganism. 
sorry, no, but if there's a greater blight on the planet than bloody vegans with their virtue signalling and they're not wearing this and they're not eating that. Honest to God. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM with your local mace where you're sure to find a friendly smile this Christmas. Cork's 96FM. It's the most talked about thing on your radio. I listen to it every day. And is it driving you crazy? Yeah. Do you know the answer? The rag and bone man. Rag and bone man. Yay! Yes! Yes! Lorraine's one second Christmas song on Cork's 96 FM. Play and win the music guessing game that has all of Cork talking. Listen to The Big Drive Home weekdays from four. Identify the Christmas hit to win a Man Point gift card. And we've loads to give away. Loads to give away. Lorraine's one second Christmas song with Man Point Shopping Centre. Open late for Christmas with free parking. Listen and win. Listen and win. From 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> Jerry was given out to me for my comments on vegans. Ever since on this program one morning, a vegan said I was a cruel, heartless man or even a murderer for wanting to have chicken for my lunch. Sorry now, but vegans and me don't get on. Actually, I have no problem with some of the food. But, uh, no. 1850-715-996. On not retiring, Kevin says, a 39-year-old academic working past 70 tried doing a physical job for 40-plus years, then talked to me about working past 70. Well, Kevin, this job isn't particularly physical, but it's not a job I want to be doing after 70 either, if I can get away with it. I want to be, re- you know, retired and enjoying my retirement. Then, of course, the front of all joy that is our Fergal says you'll be walking the street at the age of 100, impoverished with a pension of 20 euro in today's money. Ah, yeah. You brighten up my day every day. <laughs> 1850 Not uh, unconnected to this. I spoke in September to a company called Green Rebel Marine, which plans to create about 80 new jobs servicing offshore wind farms. Well, it's not unconnected at all. Wind energy and offshore wind farming is a fabulous way to make electricity and it's something we've got a big future in and Green Rebel Marine is involved in it. There's then They were creating 80 jobs back then. There's then a story that Green Rebel Marine has announced the purchase for 1.5 million euro of a multi-purpose plane to conduct surveys off the Irish coast which will be part of the planning process for these offshore wind farms. It's creating some more jobs at uh, Cork Airport. 15 jobs, I think, which brings their total announced in September to 95. Sarah Candros is, or Candro is head of their aerial surveys. Sarah, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Delighted. What will this plane do? Um, so essentially, we're using the plane to collect 
data to support ecological assessments. Um, and these are required as part of the planning process for offshore wind farms. And um, so essentially, in order to get a license for, for an offshore wind farm, developers need detailed survey data that tell us about the ecology of the area in and around planned offshore wind farms. So when we say ecology, we're talking about seabirds, marine mammals, basking sharks, sea turtles, all the lovely things that we love to see when we're when we're out ar- around the coast. Um, so we know that the ocean around Ireland is, is home to a number of species and many of these populations, they're of international importance and they're essential for healthy ecosystem functioning. And we also have a statutory obligation to, to protect those populations and mm. to minimise any impacts on them. So in order to do this, we need data and we need high quality data. And so this is the point of the plane. The plane is to collect that data to help developers choose the best location that where we can build wind farms and um, to avoid any impact on, on the local wildlife. Yeah. Because obviously if you're building a wind farm at sea, even though it'll probably be floating, it'll be on a huge platform with very, very deep roots to it, if you want. And you mm-hmm. have to be careful of the, of the local environment when putting it in there. That's absolutely right. So I suppose what what we're trying to do is we're not only supporting Ireland's transition to clean energy, but also at the same time protecting the ecology of the oceans. Um, And I suppose in addition to that, um, being part of the supply chain, the local supply chain, creating new jobs uh, and opportunities in the industry and best of all, right right here in Cork. So when will the the plane, it's got got a nice name, the Bibi, is it? The Bibi Athena. that's actually one of our geophysical, geophysical survey vessels. So that's one of the boats. Um, so the plane, we haven't named the plane yet, um, <laughs> but it'll be coming just, just after Christmas. So Okay, and it'll be landed at Cork Airport and uh, 15 new jobs supported out of it. Well, you know what? Green energy and offshore wind, it's it definitely the way forward. I was talking to Piers Flynn back in September about mm-hmm. the plans, and it's it's a huge future for for creating energy and using our natural resources. And God, we get enough wind in this country. Interesting to see that. And uh, thank you for taking our call. That's Sarah Kando, Head of Aerial Surveys uh, at Green Rebel Marine. There's a story breaking in the north. A Steneline ferry from Liverpool to Belfast has been held in port overnight. Held in the port at the River Mer- Mersey's Birkenhead Terminal. Birkenhead. At Birkenhead Terminal. Six of the crew have tested positive for coronavirus. It remained in Birkenhead. 322 passengers, 52 crew are on board. 15 close contacts have been identified and are all self isolating. Stendaline says it's liaising closely with public health authorities. And they've advised that they should disembark the vessel in Birkenhead. The welfare of passengers and crew is paramount. Passengers are being catered for and we will assist them with alternative travel. 1850 715996. The opinion line on Quartz 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Quartz 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. John Spillan and friends will be video streamed live from the Everyman stage with a special cast of mystery guests. This will be John's 22nd year in a row playing on the Sunday before Christmas in Cork and you can get a ticket for the performance by logging on to the venue's website everymancork.com Access all areas 
Due to demand, an extra Cork date has been added to Sarah Millican's Bobby Dazzler Tour in 2021. Tickets for the Opera House show on October 14th are on sale now from the venue's website. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Just want to take some comments that I've held over before I move on because I'm going to talk about par- parental alienation. We've talked about it before on the programme and it's, it's gathering pace, a campaign to stamp it out, make it illegal. Uh, and We'll talk more about that in just a sec. But on the subject of Debenhams, we had a few comments there. Why should the Debenhams workers be entitled to more money at the taxpayers' expense? They were offered what they were entitled to. Every other worker that was made redundant over the years just had to accept it. Michael, on email, you mentioned legal restrictions on the mediator in relation to distribution of assets. Who is responsible for drafting law? Politicians. Once again, politicians put laws in place that certainly don't seem to consider workers or any rights that they may have. Hi, PJ. There's lots of people made unemployed in Cork and had to take whatever redundancy they could get. What makes the Debenhams workers any different? I think it was a bad comment from them comparing themselves to the animals in FOTA. Surely the animals in FOTA are allowed to be fed, says Kate. That's not what they were saying at all, Kate. They were saying, you know, they got the animals in FOTA and Dublin Zoo, three million to keep them fed. That's, they're looking after them with the same amount of money that they're doing. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And the legal restrictions are, are very clear. Hi, PJ, just listening to the news. Instead of giving €3 million Euro to upskill Debenhams workers, why don't the government just put that towards their redundancy? Regards, Craig the trucker. That's the problem, Craig. They can't, legally. 
on how the world might change. Coal fires are not cheap, says a caller. Most of the heat goes up the chimney. We tried it. It costs about 200 quid a month. We ended up using wood and a stove. Uh, People are being driven out of rural Ireland, particularly West Cork, by the wind turbine programme. That stuff he's saying about stakeholders doesn't happen here and rarely is successful opinion against them. Wind energy is also very inefficient. The technology for clean energy exists. So any argument against the burning of solid fuel is coming from either an agenda or from ignorance. The technology is being kept by vested interests, says Cullum. The simple question then, what happened to vegetarians? Oh, it's not fashionable to be vegetarian anymore. To be just vegetarian, you have to be vegan now. 1850-715-996. So, so parental alienation. It's a big term that is a big umbrella for all sorts of different things. But effectively, it's when one parent turns a child against the other after the relationship between the two parents has gone sour. That's it in simple terms, I think. Shane O'Callaghan is a Fine Gael, uh, county or city councillor in Cork, but he's also a practising barrister and uh, specialises a bit in this work. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? I'm good. Is that a succinct definition of parental alienation? When a relationship goes south, one parent poisons the child against the other. It, it is, PJ, and you actually summed it up very well there. Um, but just just before we, we, we go on to that topic, uh, PJ, if, could, I, could I briefly mention another matter, um, if you don't mind, which go also ahead. involves parents? Go ahead. Um, it's, it's the issue of ongoing COVID-19 restrictions in maternity hospitals. And they don't allow parents of expected mothers oh, yeah. uh, to accompany them to hospital for induction or at the early stages of labour. We've had some. Di- we've had some changes in that recently, haven't we? We have, which we, it now allows. Um, you know, basically, reverse the prohibition on parents of pregnant women attending maternity hospitals for twenty-week scans and for surgical interventions. But that's look. I very much welcome that, but I don't think it goes far enough. Because, look, you know, the, the restrictions still require partners to leave the hospital one hour after the birth of the baby, regardless of the emotional and physical needs of the new mother, uh, PJ. And, look, it's, it's an emotional and often overwhelming time for a mother, um, as, you, as, you, as you no doubt know, particularly first-time mothers. And I think that it's just very important for a partner to be there, if at all possible, particularly, PJ, since... You know, a partner correctly dressed in PPE shouldn't pose any greater threat to the maternity hospital or staff than the woman herself, particularly since the partner and the woman in the vast majority of cases yeah. are from the same household. Yeah. And Cork City Council just unanimously passed a motion on this issue, which is my motion, calling on the okay. Minister of Stephen Donnelly to, to ease those restrictions. There's also a petition being organised by Siobhan O'Donoghue and Uplift, which is 53,000 signatures. So I just, yeah. I think we've, I just we've think discussed that, that petition actually with some of the yeah. people behind it, yeah. yeah. And look, I just think it's time for Stephen Donnelly to, to basically stop dragging his feet on this issue and, and to take those steps to ease those restrictions. So <laughs> sorry about that. No, you're okay, topic. you're okay. Look, it's, it's, it's something it's, I feel very strongly about. PJ, a so lot of people do. A lot of, a lot of people. Shane, parental yeah, alienation. So, yeah, so I mean, I suppose... Parental alienation, you, you, you described it pretty well there, uh, PJ, but I suppose the technical definition, if I could call it that, is it's, it's as a process where the relationship between the two parents breaks down and a child of one of those parents becomes estranged from one parent as a result of you know, psychological manipulation by the other parent. So as you say, it's basically where in the, in the context of marital or relationship breakup, uh, one parent wrongfully, deliberately... Um, 
and maliciously, I suppose, turns the child against the other parent. And I'm right in saying that it's not covered under Irish law at the moment, am I? It's not a crime to do that in any way. No, not at the moment. Um, And that's that's the difficulty um, that is there. Like, as matters stand, PJ, um, the fact that parental alienation can occur and, and does occur does not have any formal status um, or recognition in Irish law and it's not something that the family law courts are obliged to, to take into consideration. It's very hard to prove to, isn't it? It is very hard to prove and, and like you see it is a very complicated area as well. I mean that, that has to be said like um, you know because you know the crucial factor is that you know, the, you know it, obviously it results in the child being hostile towards the alienated parent and, and often the alienated parent's uh, family members as well, for instance, grandparents and, and you know, uncles, aunts, cousins, and it's obviously very upsetting for all concerned. But, like, the, the, the crucial factor is that it's, it's, it's completely unjustified hostility, a disproportionate hostility, which is brought about as a result of manipulation by one parent. And, and that's why it's very, very important um, to distinguish between parental alienation and um, situations of justifiable estrangement where the child has entirely legitimate um, understandable reasons for being afraid or hostile towards a parent. Um, you know, for instance, in situations where the child may have witnessed or have been a victim of yeah. um, domestic or even sexual uh, violence yeah. or inept parenting by, by the, the parent. Let, so, I mean, let, let's face it, Shane. Let's face it, you know? there are times... There are times when it is in the best interest of the child that they do not see one parent or the other. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why it's it's um, and, and that's that's what I'm saying is you know in certain situations um, where there has been you know domestic uh, sexual violence or even just negligent parenting, it is in the best interest of the child not to have contact with with uh, one parent and and for the child to um, and, and the child's concern is obviously very justified and uh, in being hostile or even afraid of that parent. But I suppose the, the, the difficulty is, as I say, is that there are also cases um, where, you know, the one, a child ends up becoming hostile towards one parent as a result of n- nothing that that parent has done necessarily yes. out, of, uh, out of the ordinary or wrong, but because of, you know, the, the other parent has basically uh, used their influence to turn the child against... Yeah. Um, against the alienated parent. Shane, a couple of years ago on this programme, we, we, we read a letter, and I always remember uh, subsequently talking to the man, and we had discussed it in, in our production meetings, that it was a, a risky one, because, look, family law is, is fraught with danger in terms of doing a, a live radio programme. But we, we spoke to the man involved about a relationship that had gone sour. He had a baby daughter out of it, he wanted so much to see his daughter and he wept on the phone when he told me of the ways in which his former partner had kept his daughter away from him. And I thought, right, that's a one-soft call. He's very upset. We've been really careful with this. For two days more, Shane, I mm. took calls of that nature. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, PG, see, I, I would have um, I, I introduced a motion to Cork City Council. Yes, on I was get that, yeah. And, and since then, I've been getting a lot of calls from parents. And look, I mean, I don't know. Fortunately, no one close to me has been affected by parental alienation. But the people who have been contacting me, the parents who have been contacting me. You can just, I can just tell from them that, look, they're 
it, it's they're absolutely devastated. But what has occurred is is, is a bit crushing to them. It's life changing to them in 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 a, and obviously in a very negative way. You you mentioned that motion, and it's a motion that's now been passed, or similar motions have been passed at twenty four different councils, including Cork City and Cork County. What does that motion ask the government to do, Shane? Well, they might be. I, I can't speak for, but I know that similar motions were passed, as you say, by by uh, local councils all over the country. Um, but I mean, they might be different, slightly different in their wording. But my specific motion was, um, I was calling on um, the government, uh, sorry, and specifically um, the the um, Minister for Health and the Minister for Justice and Equality and the Minister for Children to implement what's called Recommendation Thirty Six of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Justice and Equality's report in of twenty nineteen, and that report. Okay, sorry, no, it's getting this um, going off on a tangent. But it's okay. That, re- that report um, basically recommended that consideration be given. Uh, I'm just going to read it there. That consideration be given as to whether laws should be amended to take into account situations where one parent is wrongfully influencing their child or children against the other parent, thereby creating unfair and unwarranted alienation that can be destructive and life-lasting. So, I mean, it's it's look, there is a recognition by all concerned, including including me, that this is a very complicated um, area, but it's it's something that, as I say, Cork City Council, the that Joint Directors Committee, and local authorities all over the country are asking the government to seriously take a look at to see if there's anything that be, can be done in terms of legislation which can lead to some sort of recognition or status in Irish law of the fact that this does occur. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say particularly when it comes to, you know, making a determination on matters such as custody or access to a child by a parent. Yeah. And and look, I mean, you know, while it, it certainly has a devastating, obviously, effect on, on, on the, the alienated parent, more importantly, PJ, it's been shown and demonstrated to ultimately have an even more devastating yeah. negative effect on well, the child. Well, the WHO has recognised earlier this year that there's a thing yeah. called parental alienation syndrome. Exactly. Um, and, and they put it onto the intern, international classification of diseases um, as a result. And I mean, there's studies show that actually as well, um, you know, being the subject of parental alienation um, actually increases a child's lifetime risk of mental illness. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's devastating for the parents involved, but more importantly, it's actually ultimately even more detrimental and devastating to the child involved. Yeah. Lastly and um, briefly, Shane, some people involved in tragic cases like this, one side or the other, they look to the family law court system, which of course operates in camera for many reasons, and yes. they say that the in-camera rule doesn't help. As a practising barrister, would you agree? No, I would not agree. I think that the in-camera rule, rule is absolutely vital. Um, you know, when, you, when you're in the context of um, family law proceedings, you're talking about uh, oftentimes the most intimate details of people's lives and people's intimate family lives. And that is certainly something that should be kept between the parties and the court and should not be a matter um, that is accessible to the public. So right. I, know I would certainly not agree with, with becoming public. The in-camera rule is, is vital to family law proceedings in my view. Okay, i leave it there for today. Thank you very much, Shane O'Callaghan, uh, Fine Gael Cork City Councillor and Practising Barrister. Uh, the Cork County, our City and County Council recently passed a motion calling for the government to recognise and address the issue of parental alienation and the World Health Organisation now says there really is a thing called parental alienation syndrome. If 
you are affected by anything that we're talking about here today, I'm happy to take your call once you can be extremely careful about the circumstances involved. 1850-715-996. I want to go to Inspector James Hallinan because I read in the paper today that a total of 463 tickets have been issued to motorists not wearing seat belts in Cork City alone this year. Issued, I assume, by the Gardaí. 92 of them had left children unrestrained in the car. Now, the very idea of getting into a car and not putting on your seatbelt at this stage in my life is completely alien to me. The fact that you wouldn't put one on a child, bizarre in the extreme, but it is a problem. Inspector Hallinan, good morning to you. Inspector TJ, how are you getting on? And Good morning to all your listeners out there. It is a problem. A lot of people going around without their child, without a seatbelt on their child. Yeah, that's correct. We had, as you said, 464 uh, seatbelt tickets issued up to uh, two or three days ago uh, in Cork City. And from a Cork City and County perspective, there's 1,040 tickets issued uh, to motors this year for seatbelts, uh, non-wearing of seatbelts. Uh, we have uh, in Cork City 92 tickets were issued where uh, it, a person is under 17 or under three years of age with not having a child restraint. So that's a very worrying uh, statistic at the moment. Uh, so we would we would very much appeal to all motorists out there and ensure that not only themselves are wearing seatbelts, that they'd also ensure that anyone that they are carrying in the car uh, also has a seatbelt, whether they're under 17 or over 17. Now, if I'm not wearing my seatbelt, it's penalty points and a fine for me. But if yes. the child sitting next to me is not wearing a seatbelt... Seat belt. Does that also mean penalty points and a fine for me? Yes. Uh, if you're the driver of the car, anyone under 17 not wearing a seat belt in the car, it's a three penalty points for the driver plus a 60 euro fine. Uh, if you're not wearing a seat belt yourself, it's also three penalty points and a 60 euro fine. Why do you think people are not doing it? Uh, I suppose, again, look, we, we've there's education programs. There's uh, we've got out to the schools to try and get uh, kids to wear them, uh, and also educate their parents on on wearing them. I, I look I, again. I suppose we're out there. We're enforcing the the laws there. This is a very good reason why people should wear seatbelts. It's a road safety initiative. Uh, we've unfortunately gone to a lot of traffic accidents this year where people are not wearing seatbelts, and you can see the injuries caused by people not wearing seatbelts. Um, so again, look. I suppose people are busy and they, it's something that they kind of forget about, but mm. uh, we would very much appeal to them. Uh, it's like turning on the ignition of the car uh, before you turn it on and make sure everybody in the car is wearing a seatbelt. Yeah, yeah. Your, your most precious cargo in the back seat without a belt, just bear thinking about it. Uh, well, TJ, as you rightly said there, uh, it's cargo. We're all cargo. Uh, if you don't strap down cargo in a car, uh, if you're involved in a traffic accident, uh, the car will come to an abrupt halt and all the cargo that's not strapped down will uh, start moving forward yeah. in the car. So if you have a, a child or an adult in the car, and we've seen the TV adverts where um, even teenagers, uh, if they're not wearing a seatbelt, they move forward, they'll bang their head off the front seat, uh, which is a knock-on effect to the people in the front of the car. 
uh, you know, and you you have a lot of injuries out of a car where that could be prevented by wearing the wearing of seatbelts. Okay, all right, and you'll be watching for that over Christmas in the road safety campaign, which I assume will also be cracking down on drink driving and speeding and all those kind of things. Thank you very much, Inspector James Hallinan at the Gather Shiokana, 1857-15996. So they've discovered nearly 100 people driving around Cork this year and that's bearing in mind after going through two lockdowns where we're driving less, 100 people, nearly 100 people, 92, had left children unrestrained in a vehicle. It doesn't bear thinking about it. 1850 I've been looking forward to this show since I booked my ticket, my link. I must have booked it four or five weeks ago. And we're all going to sit down on Saturday night with the pizza and the bottle of wine and we're going to watch the Opera House Christmas show. I've been so looking forward to it. Benjella Culler, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Great. It's such a huge success. There's not a ticket to be had for love nor money most years for this event. But this year, even though times are very much changed, thousands of people will be able to watch it online. It's kind of extraordinary. I've done a few of these online concerts now. And, I mean, they were a bit intimidating at first, but what is amazing is that all of a sudden um, uh, uh, relatives of mine and friends of mine who were in different countries all over the world were suddenly listening and watching the same concert. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it must be difficult to step up on the stage of of a place like the Opera House and sing to an empty theatre. Yeah, that is hard, I have to say, because and it kind of bring, brings home to you how much an audience brings to the event, because it's, you know, the, the energy and the reaction, and it's kind of a wave of energy that you ride on, and it makes your job so much easier. So when you're singing and performing out to a vacuum, and you're getting absolutely nothing back, you're having to generate your own energy, and that's, I, I didn't realise how hard that was until it actually happened to me. Yeah. Because in rehearsal, you're stopping and starting to do something again and get it right. But when you go out there to do the live show, it's you and the audience. Yeah, and there's a flow. There's a flow of adrenaline. There's a flow of expectation. There's um, and it, it, it's this missing piece of the puzzle of, like I say, the I, that's the only word I can use to describe it. The energy that comes from an audience, they don't even realise they're emitting it. Yeah. But it's it's kind of cool. I mean, singing is energy anyway. Sound is energy. So uh, and it's 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 and people's emotions yeah. feel like energy. So people don't realise how much they put into the sound. It's almost like we're all riding this wave. If you look at it, it's a a Christmas show, so I'm assuming that there'll be quite a few Christmas carols in it and and there isn't eight or nine hundred people there to sing in, to sing along. They'll be singing along in the front rooms, but you won't be able to hear them. You see, I mean, there are pros and cons with everything. Um, So at least if the weather is terrible outside, you can be snug at home and you can have your cup of tea or your um, glass of wine. And pizza. And you can be (laughs) in the comfort of your own home. You're still getting the Christmas concerts in the opera house. So, So, and as well as that, of course, there's no limit on on ticket numbers. So you're on for three nights and the tickets are gotten up on a, a, a... 
place called Dice.fm, but if you go through the Opera House website, it'll take you through to buy your ticket. It's a tenner, and then you get a link, and you can click in and all of that. Yeah, if you just look us up in the Cork Opera House website, the, the link is, is in there, and you just press on that and then buy your ticket. Mm-hmm. And then you, get, you, get, you have to put in an email address. So you get you get the, your ticket as it were as a link in an email. That's right. So at the appropriate time, you just press on the link, and then it, we should just pop up. Yeah, it's, it's it's the way to go for the for for the future. Unfortunately, for the foreseeable future, anyway. Well, foreseeable future yeah. and um, yeah but what was so thrilling about the rehearsals because we this is so, some of the shows I've done have gone out live as yeah. it were but, but but this one because there are so many components it would have been a, a very difficult to make it live so we have actually recorded this um, I, I, and it was so thrilling to actually sing with an orchestra yeah. again yeah. and all of us it's amazing all, all of the singers because I've been I've singing and the, how did the, the orchestra pit in the opera house is down underneath the course and is quite a tight space so have they spaced the orchestra out no well uh, 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 these uh, in these concerts right. uh, whether whether it was the Cork Opera's Christmas concert or the Cork Operatic and the Opera uh, concerts the orchestra was always on stage I see so so basically they've opened up the whole stage right at the back that's a massive stage for social, for social distancing yeah. um, so we ha- we have the members of the orchestra but the, but it took them a little while to get used to being so distant yeah. from each other yeah. so uh, and not have a block of sound um, but the, but they got used to that pretty quickly, and it it was really emotional just suddenly hearing an orchestra because I mean for a while there we thought that that would just wasn't going to happen for yeah. years. Yeah, it must and, be it must be great to be able to get back and do something, Magella. Oh, two hundred percent. I mean, for so many artists. It, it, it was like we were just cast aside and cast adrift and I mean people it, it was difficult in every way it was difficult for people financially it was difficult for people emotionally um, you, you can imagine I mean your livelihood um, it suddenly disappears before your very eyes but and so but also this need there's like this this um, as a human being um, to, to um, express yourself or to, to use that part of your talent yeah. It's an imperative. It's something that you have to do this. Yeah. And they not have the opportunity to do it. It was very, very hard psychologically on people, yeah. you know. Well, it's great to see that live shows are back, even if we are watching them in the front room on the telly. It's great to see that they're back. Thank you, Magella. Good luck with it. The Cork Opera House Christmas Concert, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Or Saturday, sorry, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, uh, 8 o'clock. Your ticket will be 10 euros for a fabulous lineup. This um, Magella is there, Gavin Ring, Karen and Christiana Underwood. They are astonishing together. And lots more besides. Dice FM, go to the website, the Cork Opera House website, and you'll be able to go to and get your ticket. And then if you have a laptop, here's my favourite bit. If you have a laptop or a tablet or a phone even, that you can connect to the telly, to the telly on the wall or the telly on the on the mantelpiece, wherever you keep your telly, as they say. You can actually watch the concert on the telly by projecting it on. It's brilliant. Really, really good. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 
I hear there in the news a bit more information from Stephen Donnelly, the Minister of Health, with regard to these vaccine passports or vaccine certificates. They haven't quite decided what form they'll take, but he seems fairly sure that there will be some kind of form or a card or an app on your phone or some way that you will be able to prove that you have been vaccinated before you'll be allowed international travel or before you'll be able to go to something like an All-Ireland Final or maybe go to something like Live at the Marquee or maybe a large social gathering. For example, if you want to have a big wedding next summer or a big wedding next wintertime, maybe everyone at the wedding will need to be able to show that they've had their vaccine before you can invite Listen, it, it could happen. It could well happen. I've watched a few discussions on the vaccine, says Kira, and there are plenty of medical professions who are still unsure whether to take it. I'm a frontline worker. I wouldn't take it at the moment, but I'm also totally happy to take a break from foreign holidays either if I don't take it. I'm not an anti-masker or an anti-vaxxer. I just want more information before I make up my mind. That's a valid point. Uh, Kira. you're entitled to make it, but Harry... Harry, you were going well. You were going all right. You were going all right until you made a fundamental error. Hi, PJ. As a young, fit person, I will definitely not be getting a vaccine as there is no need. This virus is just like a common flu. Goodbye, Harry. That's the end of that comment. I won't be reading the rest of it. Anyone who gives me that kind of horse manure at this stage about it's just like a flu, you don't even get red. Because it isn't. It is nothing like a flu. It is nothing like a flu. Can you not get that into your thick skulls at this stage, Harry? It is nothing like a flu. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text of WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. I read a lovely story in the newspapers in the last few days. When I say a lovely story, a heartbreaking story in many ways, but a story of great relief as well for the family of Warren McSweeney, the young lad from Knocknaheeny, who has a very, very rare condition. His mum joins me. Her name is Leona. Leona, good morning to you. Good morning. What is Hurler syndrome? So it's, um, he's missing a sugar molecule. Um, so it's, it's just the makeup of his genetics isn't what they should be. Okay. Um, it's a rare genetic disorder. So both me and his dad were carriers of that disorder. Um, a lot of the time it's within the family. Yes. So you can, it's tested at the newborn screening. Like yeah. they'll do a blood test when he's born first, but because it wasn't in either of our families, he wasn't actually diagnosed till he was 10 and a half months old. Okay. And, and how does it affect him? So it, it can affect, so it affects kids in so many different ways and because it's so rare, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. But um, it affects his hearing, his eyesight, his muscles, his bones, um, all his major organs. Um, and without transplant, life expectancy is at only 10 years of age. Crikey. And, and a bone marrow transplant, is it or what? Yeah, so um, he was diagnosed at 10 and a half months. That was in June. So we started enzyme replacement therapy in Temple Street Hospital, um, which was just a transfusion he was given. It was given over um, five to six hours every Monday. We used to have to travel up. Um, But with that, it can slow down the progress of the the disease, but it won't completely 
it won't it's not fix a cure. It. Yeah, no. so even with the transplant, it isn't a cure. So with the enzyme replacement therapy, it doesn't pass the brain barrier threshold. I see. So our only option, and to extend Warren's life and give him a better quality of life, was travel to Manchester um, Hospital, where the specialist team is, because it can't be done in Ireland. Yeah, so what have they been Ireland. doing over there? Um, so we headed over in the 4th of October um, and he got a Hickman line in. He got um, scans of his heart just to make sure that he was ready for it and that his body could take it. And then we started a 10-day chemotherapy. So Warren had 10 days of full-on chemotherapy. Nice. And then on the 19th of October... He received a bone marrow transplant. So, like, okay. with the chemo, it completely wipes his DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that when he got the transplant, that replaced Warren's own DNA. Right. Um, and like He's only one. That's so hard on a little body of only one. Yeah, like, from the very start, he was always sick. You know, he was always contacting, like, you know, just normal flus and stuff. So he was put on a preventative, preventative antibiotic first. Um, he had he's two hearing aids, so that was diagnosed at birth. He was born with two hernia, so at five weeks old, we travelled to Crumlin, where they'd done an operation. Um, and it was just by luck he got sick in June, and we were transferred up to Temple Street instead of Crumlin. The hernias they thought had come back, yeah. and they couldn't give us a bed in Crumlin. So the specialist team, the metabolic team, were in Temple Street. And it was just by luck we were sent there because he had got an MRI a couple of weeks beforehand and they'd noticed, um, like, spotting in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had already sent the bloods off, but just with us being sent to Temple Street, it just moved that a bit faster. Yeah. We met the metabolic team. and um, They tested to see if there was gags in the urine, which told them that they had he had a metabolic disorder. They just didn't know which one. He was in a group of six. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, they sent the blood off, told us to come back in a week, talk, told me to take a week off work. And at the time, it was only one parent allowed in with a child because of COVID restrictions. And they told me to bring his dad up with him, up with us as well. So we knew it was something serious, but we always knew it was something. Yeah. You know, he was, he had like a dip in his chest, you know, a hole in his heart. There was all these little things and there was, we just couldn't get that connection. And you feel and so we, terribly helpless, don't you, Leona? Yeah, like you've no control over it. Like he's just a trooper. He went through chemo. He didn't, you know, like everything he has been through. He just, he just does it. He just never cries. He's so happy. No, it just doesn't seem to hit him. You know, it's just, I suppose he doesn't know any different. This has been his life since he's been born. It's been constant hospital appointments and, you know, he just, he just knows no different. We've practically lived in hospitals throughout the whole time. And and the good news is that you've been in Manchester since since October and had massive amount of, of treatment and all of that. But then they said he can go home for Christmas. Yeah, so we were meant to be there till January. And I had a, another little girl in September, so we oh. had to leave her behind at four weeks old. Oh, God. Who's yeah, minding her? So my mum took her um, right. and their dad's uh, mum took her. So we were just really lucky, you know, that we have an amazing sports system at home. Yeah. Um, and even the community itself so like our, the house that we were coming home to wasn't fit for Warren like it had to be completely you know gutted and redone and there's 
so many people came up just to help it got behind us. Like I'll never be able to thank people for the support that we've gotten throughout this Have whole you had to have journey. special facilities put in for them and stuff, yeah? And not yet. We're not at that point yet. We're hoping with this transplant. So like there's a chance that it could fail. There's always that chance. So at the moment, Warren's blood is ninety three percent point nine donor. And there's still that little bit of Warren there. Now, he might never get to 100%. Yeah. But they, Do they think it's working so chance. far? Or can they so tell? So far, everything's going really well. His bloods are doing what they're meant to. Um, he's doing amazing. Now, when we were over, he did pick up an infection. So we ended up in ICU for two days. Yeah. Um, but other than that, he done really well. We were very, very lucky with Warren's treatment over. They were amazing. A lot of the other families that were over there at the same time weren't as lucky as us and had a few complications yeah. where with Warren he just flew through it he continued to eat the whole time through Good chemo and um, didn't need any strong pain relief he's been just amazing yeah and um, when he came back then he was into Dublin airport and a guard escort all the way down the motorway yeah um, <laughs> it was we landed so because of the fog they were meant to come off the side of the plane but because it was very heavy fog on the night um, they came up um, when the plane had landed next to us and lit up all lights, there was the airport police, Garda, the rescue uh, services, they all came up, lit it up. He was delighted looking out the window at all the lights. Brilliant. Um, and then when we went through, the guards had waited for us because our flight had been delayed and gave us a blue light out of Dublin. And then when we hit from Moy and Cork, they blue lighted us the whole way home as well. Ah, brilliant. They've been just, like, I the support we have received has just been second to none. Like, it's been amazing. Like, his story has touched so many people. And I just want to be able to highlight what Warren has and get it out there that if one family, you know, notices something that they think might help them get what they need or they think their child might have it because we were so late getting a diagnosis. Normally, they're diagnosed very, very young. And and that's because both yourself and Kenneth are carriers, but you don't have it. And it's nowhere in either of your two families. It's only when two carriers come together, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's like no one on either side. Like, it's never... I'd never actually heard of it until Warren was diagnosed with it. And when people ask it, they ask it, oh, and what is it? You know, it's just very little people have ever heard about it. And myself, I've never heard about it only for Warren had it. And I don't think I ever would have. So I just want to get it out there and get people knowing what it is and, you know, make it that... It's just, you know, people know. Yeah. Like... Excuse me, Leona. Is there is there a certain feeling that you get? Like, geez, here's my little boy with this thing that myself and his dad both had, and and we didn't know anything about it, and he's got it now. Is that hard to deal with? It's so hard because like Harlars doesn't set in until about six months old. So like he was interacting with us, and you know he was playing with us, and. His, you know, you were able to make him laugh where that kind of all stopped when the Harler syndrome did set in. So, like, he's slowly but surely coming back since transplant. He started to make eye contact again. But, like, you just feel so helpless when all this is going on. Do you you feel yourself, did you talk with each other and say, Jesus, like, this this thing that was inside in us? We just have to look at it as we had no control over it. It's just like any other genetic disorder. It was just it was just like one in four, like if I ever get pregnant again, it's a one in four chance in every pregnancy I have yeah. that 
Has, has Lucy been checked, Leona? So she was tested um, at a week old. The bloods were sent off uh, straight away and we got the results back and she doesn't have it. Now, we don't know if she's a carrier of it. Right. But at this moment in time, she doesn't have it. But she's okay for now. That's yeah. been, that must have been it, brilliant news. It was such a relief. But then it's kind of bittersweet because you look at Lucy and you see her hitting her milestones. And yeah. Warren didn't hit them like her. And because it was our first child, we just knew no different. Like, I knew in my gut there was something. I just never Mama always does, you know. Mama yeah, Bear always even, knows. Even through the whole pregnancy, there, it was just something. Yeah. There was I knew something was wrong from the very, very start. With Lucy, I was just so more relaxed. Like, I just knew that she was going to be okay. But with Warren... Mm. I just knew I just... Mum always does, Leona. You know, they always always do. I don't know how many mothers I've spoken to over the years who say, I knew, I knew, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just the time, like, we would have got a diagnosis earlier. Um, It was all back to the MRI scan that, that started the ball rolling. But he was due it in March, and because of COVID, things got cancelled. Um. So it wasn't actually until the end of May, start of June, he actually got that MRI and that's when things started moving. We more than likely would have had a diagnosis a lot earlier, but it's just the restrictions that were in place and appointments were cancelled. Yeah. You know, it just, like, even now to this day, like trying to get physio appointments from that he needs and speech and language, just with COVID restrictions, mm. it's just been there and possible. You must be terrified as well, Leon, of him getting COVID, were not you? Yeah, like from the very start, even before we got a diagnosis, because I knew something was wrong, like I completely went into lockdown. Like no one was allowed near him and both our mothers are healthcare workers. So like they were kind of taking time off to help us. And, you know, we were just trying our best with the situation that we had. Yeah, yeah. You said that there's some people in particular who pulled out all the stops for you and you wanted to mention some of them. Yeah, so like, there's people that came off to the house, every person that helped get our house ready, I just can't thank them enough from the bottom of my heart. There's so many people done fundraisers for us, raffles, each and every one of them, thanks so much. And uh, Gerardy, oh, he Ger. organised, yeah, he organised all the ambulance, or all the guards for us. Um, on I might our have known he'd been involved. <laughs> yeah, um, so he's just been amazing, even getting in contact with people, trying to get Warren's story out there, because out of all of this, I want to highlight how important it is to know about these syndromes that aren't talked about as much. Yes. And you want to talk to people, particularly, I think, who they're worried about something, but they don't know what it is. Yeah, because, like, with hurlers, it's like they've certain facial features, so, like, they'll have a bigger head and a flat nose. And, like, we just presumed he was just, you know, it was just him and that's how he was. But... Like, there was all these so many telltale signs and we fought and fought to get where we were and to get where we are to get the answers we needed. Yeah. And, like, I can't thank his paediatrician in COH, Louise Gibson, any more than, like, she, oh, we wouldn't be where we are today if it wasn't for her. No, oh, she's a great doctor. Things. She's just been amazing throughout it all. Even when I rang her when we were coming home and she was sorting things out for us and like everyone in Temple Street, all the nurses and his consultant up there, Dr. Hughes. And then we were under uh, Rob Wine on, over in Manchester and like he's just been amazing the whole way through. Even like with coming over, he tried to sort out that so Lucy could come with us, but it just wasn't. 
Yeah. It just wasn't the right option for us. We wouldn't have been able to give them both what they needed yeah. while we were over. Who, but like, who looks after you and Kenneth? Just us. Our family has been amazing, though. Like we can't. Like both our families have just done everything we've asked them. Like I just, I'm lost for words. I don't even know what to say to thank them. Yeah. It'll be a happy Christmas, though, and that's the most important thing. That's it. And do you know what? It's just something we didn't expect. I'm so happy we're home and like getting to see our family again. Now, no one, we're still in isolation, so yeah. we'll be still in isolation for a while, but just even getting to see our family through a window and getting to see our mums again and getting to see Lucy most of all, just getting home to her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I wish everybody well. You and Warren and Lucy and Kenneth. And I hope you have a lovely, lovely family Christmas. Thanks very much and same to you. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. That's Leona. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There's nothing like I've said this before and look, dads I'm a dad myself, so I I get it, but dads are special. Dads do their job, but there's nothing in the world to um to match the resilience of Mama Bear. There's nothing that ever was. 1850-715-996. Oh, someone's after ripping tuppence off me with the, my comment to the Guard of Vegans. We'll see. We'll see next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. The woman took to Twitter last night after she found a Christmas card on the road addressed to someone called April. And it was from April's nanny. Uh, she took to Twitter, as I said, she wanted to find April. She did. She did. And we've tracked them both down, thanks to Twitter, and we'll have them on the show at quarter to twelve. So that'll be a nice little one to finish us out today. Vegans, says. <laughs> Vegans and vegetarians make up 10% of the Irish population. PJ, with his snide anti-vegan and anti-vegetarian comments, risks alienating 10% of his listeners. His arrogant belief that his opinion is the only one, correct one when he is constantly inviting listeners to submit their opinions. The show is called The Opinion Line after all. He's absolute proof that arrogance and ignorance are very close bedfellows. Oh, I love the last bit. I love the last bit. Ever since the morning that a vegan said I was a cruel man for wearing a woolly jumper and having chicken in my lunchbox, yeah, I got a problem with vegans. I have. I don't like that culture that says that because I don't subscribe to it, I'm an evil person. Anyone want to fight him? No, no, no. Well, I take your point. I take your point. I take your point. It is, of course, the opinion, and we love opinions. And you know what? What you haven't got, my friend, is half the time I'm only taking the piss anyway. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Oh, you really should read comments before you bring them to air and ridicule the sender halfway through. Now, you see, no, that was Harry's comment. Anyone that tells to me, this is just a common flu, sorry. That's where that goes. It is not a common flu. 1850-715-996. We were talking earlier about electric cars. Orla, electric cars, suitable or not suitable? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, 
Good morning. They are not suitable. Well, for my family in particular, um, currently the way that they are built, they're too small. Um, also, as many of your listeners would know and yourself knows, Michael is in a wheelchair for life. Um, diesel vehicles, I drive a, a Ford Tornado long wheelbase minibus, basically. Yeah. And eventually we'll need an electric ramp as he gets bigger and older. What people don't understand is that um, provisions need to be put in place before they beca- before they get rid of diesel vehicles because most of special needs parents with children in wheelchairs, they drive diesel vehicles. They yes. drive big vans like mine. And structures need to be put in place for taxi drivers as well and bus like pu- public buses. Yeah. Like, like if you had to have your van electric now and mm-hmm. use the lift to get him in and out of it, that's eating the battery before you even yeah. start the engine or start yeah. the motor. Yeah, so like things need to be put in place within the vehicle and within the home, like for the, um, like we, like realistically, if we had a electric car, we'd need to have a plug at the side of the house. Yeah. There's actually one down the road for me, but they drive a car, like, and it's. Like, I like the idea. They fit that. I think you can buy that when you buy the car and you yeah. might even get a grant towards it from some dealers. Yeah, and I made I made notes of, like, the grants and the benefits. Because, like, we do have, um, as a special needs family, we do have benefits and tax-free. Um, like, I don't pay tax on my vehicle. Yeah. And I don't pay tolls. So that needs to be transformed to an electric vehicle as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, people need to understand that, like, it's not just normal families yeah. that need to use electric cars. Like they're they're going to make it, I think, illegal to buy a petrol or a diesel car after 2030. Well, before 2030, they need to put the, this um, in place for families like mine. And I think a lot more people will feel like you too. Yeah. Because, the, and the, the van alone, like, you would, getting an electric one of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, it, I, I can't imagine the price of an electrical vehicle at the current, like, the current size yeah. of my van. It's astronomical. Like, it's astronomical as it is for, like, nearly 40 grand for a brand new vehicle. Yeah, it's very it's very expensive, it's and so the electric expensive. versions are even more expensive. Orla, thanks for that. Just another cautionary tale to those who think you can move relentlessly towards electric driving and green this and green that, green retrofitting and all this kind of thing. And it's all lovely ideas in theory, great ideas. Can you do it? Who's going to pay? I changed one of our cars recently, and I did look, I did research the prospects. It's only the little runabout. I looked at the prospect of. An electric car. And I thought, an electric car, astronomically expensive. Astronomically expensive for what I wanted it for. So I struggle petrol. 1850 <laughs> Did PJ hear about the Kerry vegetarian that died? There was a big turn up at the funeral. Badum Tish. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. KCN Ross.
on Cork's 96FM. Curious kids ask 73 questions every single day. Why do people die? Why do people die, Ross? Because we all have an expiration date like yogurts. What is God? It's a backwards dog. How was I made? In China. Why do I have to go to school? Because I don't want to look at you anymore. Why can't I stay up as late as you? Because I own this house. What does we can't afford it mean? It means I don't want it. <laughs> exactly, there you go. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Just before I move on, a quick mention for a good friend of the show and a good friend of the radio station and a great friend of Radiothon, uh, Michal Sheridan from Mercy Hospital Foundation. It's just been confirmed. I knew this a few days ago, but I had to keep shtum about it. Michal was kind enough to give me the heads up on it. Michal Sheridan is moving on from the Mercy Hospital Foundation after many, many years in charge. Moving on to Pastures New, and uh, he will be temporarily replaced by head of fundraising, Julie Harris, but they'll be uh, selecting a new head for the foundation in the new year. But uh, my own personal best wishes go to, and I think the best wishes of everybody in this building will go to Michal Sheridan. Thank you for being a friend to 96FM and a friend to Radiothon and a personal friend. You become to many of us in here and good luck in your next chapter. And uh, don't be a stranger, Michal. 1850 Spoke earlier with Michael Gearan about meeting his mum face-to-face yesterday for the first time since March. She's in a care home in County Limerick and Michael was able to take advantage of the fact that anyone in a care home can now have one visitor a week with the slight easing of restrictions and he spoke about how much he'd appreciate that opportunity to see his mum. Couldn't hug her, couldn't touch her, but at least he could see her face-to-face. Let's go down to Oak Lodge Nursing Home and talk to the gaffer there, Dermot O'Dolig. Dermot, good morning. These restrictions have eased now, so what are people allowed uh, good morning, uh, PJ. And uh, while well, I, I wasn't uh, tuned in earlier to hear your uh, guest, uh, it is wonderful to hear it and to see it in 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 practice. Uh, to see the easing of those restrictions and I suppose anything that promotes uh, the welfare and well-being, I suppose, and particularly I suppose at this time the mental health of of residents and of of the families to have that contact which is so human and so necessary as part of our human interaction um, is very welcome and we've been privileged to see some of that uh, interaction during um, this past week uh, just in tears and joy and uh, relief and I suppose you know if your resident has been your family member has been you know out of touch really or out of uh, sight uh, literally for the last uh, nine months uh, to be able to see them face to face and sit across a table from them even is a massive, massive improvement to know that they're, and for that elderly person to know that they are still cared for and loved and someone is watching out for them um, even though they couldn't be present, uh, that is, that has been a really welcome in the past week. So what's allowed um, is one visit uh, per week uh, to each resident on compassionate and critical health grounds really. So they're saying it's not 
free for all. It is uh, one visit per person. However, that person can change. So if I have any symptoms of the flu as a visitor, I don't go. I ring up someone else in my family and say, can you go? Um, so it allows that, whereas previously it had to be a nominated person. It had to be the, the same person each each time. So um, it's one hour. It's internal. Um, most uh, nursing homes like ourselves in Oak Lodge would have uh, created a safe space, mm-hmm. probably near a window, near a door, to ensure it's maximum ventilation and all of that so and it is internal and then we also welcome still as much as possible of window visiting or, or any external visiting yeah. it's facilitated so, so does someone have to if they want to go visit mammy or dad or nana mm-hmm. on christmas day do they have to book with you in advance let you know who's coming they do it's uh, it's only one person is allowed um unless obviously in exceptional circumstances if you know if a spouse were in a wheelchair and needed someone to assist them and or anything like that we would try to uh, facilitate everything like that um but uh, unfortunately for christmas eve christmas day for all of this duration but we will try to be as as every nursing home i'm sure will be as, as facilitating of that as possible and it is very difficult how do you which person goes on Christmas Day. So we're trying to ensure that, you know, as many as possible get a visit beforehand in the days leading up to it and in the days after it as well. So that really all immediate family would be facilitated with a visit uh, over over uh, those few days as much as possible, be it outside or window or uh, an in-person visit where at all possible. Is it is it harder work for yourself and your team, Dermot, to, to be able to Obviously, you're delighted to be able to facilitate these visits, but is there more work involved in keeping the place safe? Yes, there is. There's been a lot of hard work there uh, since uh, March of last year, and, you know, I just want to take my hat off, as it were, to to our staff at Oak Lodge. They've been fantastic, and I say a real thank you. And to all the staff in every healthcare uh, who've really worked. And, you know, they are tired, and it's been very difficult. But they're all very conscious that it's been very difficult for the residents and for the families more so, particularly those who've lost loved ones during this time and couldn't have a funeral or all that. So it's been difficult for the whole country, really, uh, staff included. But uh, we they've been great in doing everything possible to keep all visits safe. Now, we've had internal visits on compassion grounds from the very beginning where mm. people were gowned up and where, you know, some, there was a lady who didn't want to really, she was, you know, stopping eating because she was so, so upset really with what was happening. So we immediately, you know, contacted her family and brought in the family and, and that resolved the issue and it has been much easier since then. So there's always, and I'm sure most nursing homes have been uh, trying to facilitate uh, that. That has always, I suppose, been our policy, and it is um, in line with the national policy, uh, particularly now with, you know, I'll talk about compassion, and, and we have to see what, what within the rules works to make sure that we do facilitate uh, those visits, you know. Okay, all right. And the advice, I guess, is contact your nursing home in well in good time uh, to book something over Christmas and be aware the, of the restrictions under which they have to to work and I guess cooperate with the staff and the management. David, thank you very much and to you and your residents and your staff for the great work you've been doing over the last few months. Uh, thank you and a good Christmas down there to everybody. That's Dear Dodolik at Oak Lodge Nursing Home. My dad got an electric car for work and says it's pure useless. The aircon and the heating drain away the battery. 1850-715-996 Also this one, we might look into this tomorrow, although no one's going to admit it. I know of three pubs or clubs not following the rules. One is a highly respected GA pub 
when there's a lockdown in January, as there surely will be at this rate, they'll be on complaining and looking for a chance. We might come back to that. 1857 I want to talk to uh, Geraldine Herbert, um, wizwomen.ie. She's on the show quite regularly about getting your car ready for, for the winter. It's getting cold and getting colder over the next couple of weeks. How you get your car through the winter, what you need to do. I also want to bring up the electric discussion briefly, Jerry. But first of all, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Getting the car ready for the winter. This morning, the little car started grand and handy. It was a nice, mild morning. But if it's not, that old... How can you avoid that? Yeah, I suppose the two things you really need to be concerned about in winter, PJ, is your battery and your tyres. Now, in terms of the battery, the normal life for a battery, if you look after it, can be up to five years. But once it starts to go over three, you might be get start to get worried. So if your battery is more than three years old, I'd have it checked out. Ideally, at this time of the year, if it coincides with a time to have a service, it's great. But if you're going to be on the road kind of late at night or early in the morning, you know, if you do night shifts or something, it might be an idea just to take it to a garage and do one of those winter checks because there's a lot of garages now offering them very cheaply at the moment. They're really good value and they'll check everything for you. So if you are concerned, or as I said, if you're going to be on the road sort of not at your normal times, um, I would definitely consider doing something like that. What happens to a battery when it gets older? Is it that it doesn't hold its charge in the cold weather? Is that it? Yeah, it just, you know, the cold temperatures reduce the capacity of the battery and over time it just wears down. And remember, batteries this year, probably there was a lot of cars lying, you know, idle for a lot of, for yes. a lot of time throughout with all of the lockdowns. And even when the lockdown was lifted, a lot of people were working from home. So definitely, and particularly if you're going to be going somewhere this Christmas, though I know most of us won't be driving home for Christmas this year, um, I definitely get it checked out. If it starts to sound sluggish at all, it doesn't take that long to take it to a garage and just have a quick check of it. Yeah, if you have to, if you, if you get that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not, you never a good sound. Oh no! And, and the, the other one is the, the click, and there's nothing there. That's you don't want to know about that. Like. No, no, you, that, that's when it's too late at that stage. That's, yeah. you know, that, that's not good. And the garage will check that out for you, and the tires as well, of course. Tires is really, really essential because no matter what sort of a car you drive or what sort of great system, safety systems you have in your car, if, it's, if the tires aren't gripping the road, they mean nothing. Now, the actual legal minimum is 1.6 millimetres of tread depth. depth. Really, you'd want to be looking at about 3 millimetres. So check them, check the tyre pressure. If they do need replacing, now is the time to do it. Because, PJ, like, we don't get very bad weather, really, in November and December. Our winter really starts in January, January and February. So yeah. that's when you really need to be prepared for then. It's after Christmas, really. That's, mm. you know, the, the, the worst of the weather. Is Talking during the week about potholes. If you hit a pothole, check that tyre the minute you get home. Yeah, that's the other thing is just to check your tyres for damage as well because you can do damage to tyres and not even be aware of it. I mean, yes. we're so used to driving over potholes, you know, depending on where in the country you live. So, you know, our roads are not great. Our back roads are not particularly good. And any sort of wear and tear, you know, constantly going over rough surfaces and, you know, will take its toll on the tyres. So just check them all over as well that there, there's no, you know, damage done to them that you're just not aware of. Okay, check the tyres and check the battery. Briefly and finally, Geraldine, with regard to uh, electric vehicles, speaking earlier on the programme about them, the government still wants us to be all driving them by, by 2030. A year ago I would have said completely not feasible. Is it feasible? Could we all be doing it affordably by 2030? 
I think we definitely will be. And you know, I don't think we're going to have any choice. I think this is just going to be driven by the EU regulations on car makers and the kind of choice that car makers are bringing in. I was doing a list of the new cars that are coming in next year and like literally nearly every single one of them, PJ, is either a mild hybrid, a hybrid, an electric car. There are very few pure petrol and diesel cars coming in and that's only 2021. So you can imagine even by 2025, you just won't, I'd say even by then, you won't be able to buy just a pure petrol and diesel car. That's the way things are going. So I think the choice is going to be taken out of people's hands. It's just where the market is moving. I hope the costs will, will come down though because they are it pricey. will come down because just with economies of scale, you know, when that's all there is, they will start to match the price of petrol and diesel. You can be guaranteed that that may not happen next year, but it's certainly on the horizon for the next two to three years. Okay, something we'll catch up with you again about. Thanks very much. That's Geraldine Herbert, wheelsforwomen.ie and of course does motoring for the Sunday Indo. Get the battery and the tyres ready for the winter and our real winter, of course, January and February. Now, let's talk about that Christmas card. Annabella, you found it. Where? Right, so me and my friend Sive, we were on our way into college and um, it was bucketing rain and we saw this card on the ground and we thought, well, you know what, we might as well pick it up. And we picked it up and it just said April on the front and our heart broke when we opened it and it said, best wishes from Nanny, because the card wasn't even opened. So, we thought we have to find this April girl and give her this card. So you took to Twitter? We took to Twitter and I did not think that we would get the reaction that we got. You know, I have 60 followers on Twitter. I thought it might have been shared a few times, but I think we have like over 400 shares. And then a girl that worked with April contacted me and said, I think this is the girl. And then that led us to April. April Mulcahy. Hello there. Hi, how are you? Hi. The card... You, did you know your nanny was giving it to you or did you have it? Did you lose it? What happened? Yeah, so I was just after meeting my dad for lunch in Joseph Rose, which is near where the card was found. And unfortunately, the pockets of my jacket are very small and the card fell out somewhere along the way when I was leaving. And um, I walked back and forth the route a few times trying to find the card um, and I couldn't find it. So I just figured it was gone. Mm. Tell me about nanny. She's special. Very special. I actually haven't seen her in a very long time. I'm from Clare and she lives uh, in Cork. We usually visit her around Christmas time, but I haven't managed to see her in nearly a year now. So my dad was just giving her our Christmas cards when we met him for lunch. Will you will you get to see her at all for the Christmas, do you think? Um, I hope so, yeah. Um, I'm working in Cork over the, over the Christmas time, but we might um, do a social distance meeting hopefully um, after Christmas or in the new year. Wouldn't that be lovely? Annabella, you didn't realise just how big a favour you were doing. We had no idea. We thought that the card might be special and I know that if my granny wrote me a card, I'd want it. But we didn't know that April hadn't seen her granny since COVID had started, so it made it all the more special. Yeah. Now, you're meeting up, I think, to get the card today. Yeah, we just met up about 15 minutes ago, social distancing with our masks on, and um, April bought us a lovely box of chocolates, which was a great surprise. All right, and you're delighted to have the card back in your in your hands, April. Yeah, I'm actually amazed that someone even bothered to put it out there. I think most people probably would have just put it in the bin or just left it, seeing as there was no second name or address or anything. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a lovely little story, and it's a real seasonal story and real decency. Uh, so thank you, Annabella, for what you did. And obviously, April, you're delighted to get the card back. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Absolutely. Thank Cheer, you. Bye-bye. Cheers to you both. Happy Christmas. 1850-715-996. Lovely little story.
If you find a card when you're out walking, if you find something of that dropped, try Twitter. Lectin, Twitter can be a cesspit at times. <laughs> it can be horrible. But for something like that, when the Twitter hive mind gets going, tis hard to base it. 1850-715-996. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833-969696. On Cork's 96 FM. You might remember, before we go, you might remember Lorraine from last week. We were talking to her about her children making Christmas cards for the Penny Dinners to help the people at the Penny Dinners celebrate Christmas. And she sent photographs of the kids making the cards. Well, we got an email from her. I was on the show last Wednesday. She said about kindness and how it can be something so small it can be fulfilling to others. And I told you I'd share a picture of my children and granddaughter delivering the Penny Dinners. Today we went, that was yesterday, today we went to visit Penny Dinners with 220 hand-decorated cards and a box of treats for the service. The children were greeted by Katrina. She's absolutely amazing. As I said to you last week, a little goes a long way. To teach my children this, no money could buy it. It was a real life-learning experience for them. We live in Balancholic, or outside Balancholic, in a rural village. My children don't see what's happening on the streets of Cork, but I've taught them about the importance of kindness to everyone they'll meet and the importance of helping in any way they can. We'll visit the city over the weekend and see the beautiful lights and visit the marina markets as a treat. And that's from Lorraine and family. And they sent us a lovely photograph of presenting the cards to Katrina at Penny Dinners, which is a lovely way to close out today. Thank you, Lorraine. Programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.